Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello. Hey. I'm down in the basement now. Um, the puppy makes it impossible to be anywhere. How is the puppy? The puppy is super adorable and really like a grown old dog in an eight-week-old Black Lab's body. What's his name? Moses. Moses. Um, He's going to lead us out of the plague. Is he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. How, like, how he, he, he really seems like he's got all the answers, and that's exactly <laughs> what I needed in my life right now. You know, you can just tell by the way he looks at you that he's got a lot of wisdom and perspective. And if I were to come to him with, say, a problem, he'd be able to kind of just remind me to keep perspective because he's been alive for thousands of years. We've certainly exhausted all other options for where to get answers. So maybe a baby dog could fix this. Yeah. Well, you're always saying children are our future. <laughs> I, I do always, I do always say that. Okay. Well, yet another depressing week. But one thing that we can do that we have an actual answer to that we don't need to consult a baby dog on um, <laughs> is uh, something very practical, and that's a question we've gotten from a listener. So this question actually comes from one of our colleagues, Peter Nicholas, who's our White House reporter. Dear Dr. Hamblin, I like how he addresses you so formally. Well, everyone does. It's sort of a stylistic thing for the column. Hey, Jim. That's how I would do it. Hey, Bozo. Get hey, Bozo, I got a question for you. Why don't you anyway. ever get anything right for a change? Yeah. Stop dumping on vitamins. <laughs> what did they ever do to you? Yeah, I'm glad we didn't go with Hey, Bozo as the, <laughs> as the column title. Yeah. This is much, much more... <clears throat> stayed and professional. It's more professional. Okay. Dear Dr. Hamblin, quote unquote, Dr. Hamblin, as an Atlantic reporter covering the White House, I'll soon be traveling to cover things like Trump rallies. Am I at risk of contracting the virus if I stay at a hotel? Could the virus be passed through the hotel's HVAC system? Peter Nicholas, Washington, D.C. I thought this would be a real simple question. Mm -hmm. And before anyone freaks out, the answer is, in the United States, in most developed countries, we have building codes that require that ventilation systems are well-maintained and filters are changed regularly. And this should be not a serious concern. But it is also not impossible that mm -hmm. this could happen. And it's important that, that systems are maintained and working well and ventilation is happening the way it should. So I didn't know what that meant. And I spent a good amount of time learning about ventilation systems uh, this past week. Please tell us more. <laughs> Did you ever think that you would care? About ventilation? Um, not on any detailed level, but, but now I do. So please, yeah. let's get real nerdy about ventilation. Okay. Well... You remember we talked about singing, right? I do remember that. Yeah. The focus of how this virus spreads has shifted from 
surfaces to airborne aerosolized transmission in right. terms of how important we think things are. And right, which is why we're like very much focused on being outside when gathering right now as we as reopenings are happening. Right. Yeah. Just because the air is moving around a lot more than it's right. If you'll remember my poison analogy, poison in a lake. Um, well, if I could use like a even weirder metaphor this time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. When you're outside, if you cough, it's sort of like peeing into a river, um, as opposed to if you're in a room that's not well ventilated, it's like peeing in a hot tub. And ideally, you would do neither, but one of them is definitely less good. Mm-hmm. Gross. Okay. I don't yeah. know why we needed that visual. I prefer the poison one. But you like okay. the poison one. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, if you have someone aerosolizing this virus, large amounts of it, so like say Meaning they're quarantining. Just breathing it out, whatever. Yeah. Well, it comes out, interestingly, obviously in coughing and yelling and singing, mm-hmm. um, but also it can come out in things called toilet plumes. Uh, what? Have You know what a toilet plume is, I presume. I don't know what a toilet plume is. Yeah, maybe we should have started this episode with some sort of caveat that there's a lot of bodily um, explicitness that some people don't find comfortable. Yes, you are, as a medically trained doctor, you're comfortable with discussing functioning of the body in the way that perhaps an average person is not. But go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. It's fine. So when you flush a toilet, not everything goes down. Some small portion of what was in that bowl gets misted into the air, Uh like a huge human cough. And so this is all hypothetical right now, but we know that people shed virus in their feces, sometimes for long periods after they're no longer even sick. Really? Um, So there could be an additive effect of people who are shedding virus in all sorts of different ways. Um, Wait. Coughing, breathing (laughs) heavily, singing, flushing toilets. horrible. Wait. So we, like people who are fully recovered, can continue to shed contagious virus through their feces for long after they're recovered? There's one key word in there you said, which is contagious. And we don't know exactly the dose of virus that you'd need to be exposed to. So it's very unlikely that there would be enough virus from inhaling someone's toilet plume one time for anyone to get sick. Okay, but wait, this does mean that, like, shared public restrooms, even if no one is in them while you're using them, are are dangerous. Well, the answer that I came down with is they're dangerous if they're not properly ventilated. And it's exactly reasons like this that commercial buildings are supposed to have exhaust fans that are constantly running, that are pulling air out of the bathroom and blowing it out into the open air. Okay, so this, so building codes, exhaust fans, ventilation, the sort of filtration system on the building's ventilation, those are the things that clear the virus? Yeah. So in restrooms specifically, because we know about toilet plume, because we know people are going in there and blowing noses, and it's just uh, full of infectious particles of various sorts, you're supposed to have a ventilation fan running in there constantly, just pulling the air out. So even if there is a toilet plume, it's not hanging out there very long. Oh my God, toilet plume. We should assume that that's safe. Where it could be an issue is if you had, you know, if that wasn't working. And, you know, obviously toilets aren't the only way we aerosolize 
this virus. And when you have air conditioning going, Mm -hmm. you're basically recirculating a lot of air. You're sucking it out of the room and then pushing it right back in because you don't want to take, you know, it would be extremely inefficient to just constantly be blowing your cold air out and sucking more hot air. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you recirculate that air, it goes through a filter. And there are some filters that are good enough to catch this virus because the virus is so, so tiny. Yeah. um, And remove it while it's being recirculated. And then also you're, you're much safer than if you're in a building that is running air conditioning and hasn't upgraded its filters appropriately, doesn't have the best kinds of filters, or doesn't have a system that can handle those high-quality filters. Well, how would a person know if the building they were entering had the kind of filtration that you need or not? You know, indoor air quality has been something that a lot of people have been ringing alarms about for a long time. Mm -hmm. Take, for example, uh, occupational settings like nail salons where ventilation is really important. And notoriously, there are lots of like exposure problems that happen in places like that. And building codes are enforced to various degrees in various places. Usually it's run sort of like getting audited by the IRS. Like no one's coming every week and checking to make sure your ventilation system is... Right. It's just like a spot check thing. Yeah. And if you really want to save money, you know you can stretch that filter another month across your various properties or whatever. These things do add up. And so there's not a system in place that ensures that this is definitely happening, but it's a moment where places are already starting to realize that workers and consumers are going to be conscious of this and probably hold them accountable. I mean, there are also third-party certification systems. Oh, is LEED certification um, that covers this? Yeah. So, so if so if a building is LEED certified and you assume it's up to date, then it's uh, safer than a non-LEED certified building? Right. We've sort of, in the very American way, privatized some of these certification processes, just like supplements. Actually, if you want, like, if you want to know if your vitamin D is really vitamin D, you can look for something like the U.S. Pharmacopeia mm-hmm. seal, which means they took it to this... Someone actually checked. And paid for a vetting process that would give them a seal. And it's the same sort of thing with a lot of air quality standards where most places ensure a sort of basic minimum. We should be able to assume it's fine. What about, about, um, say, I want to go get my haircut at, you know, my neighborhood salon. And it's in the bottom floor of a small building or something. And they have air conditioner on because it's hot. Like, is that the kind of place where you just can't assume that it's okay? It's going to depend where you are from country to country. And the places that this has been an issue with the SARS coronavirus back in 2003 Mm -hmm. was in Hong Kong, you know, spread within an apartment building on people on different floors. Uh And there are certainly going to be places in the U.S. where ventilation is not adequate. Mm-hmm. But I think when you can sense stagnant air is the best, like, rule of thumb advice. So I, I should got, lick is, my index finger and and hold it up and see if it feels no. cool. If it doesn't, then I know that I just got coronavirus. 
Well, I think when there are places, you can tell it's mildewy, you can tell it feels stagnant, or there is a smell of the chemicals that are lingering in a space where it really seems like avoidable. That would be someplace where you're getting these signs that this is not a well-ventilated space, and you're going to spend a long time in this enclosed space where there are other people. That is definitely going to be higher risk than when you go in and it you know, you don't notice anything like that. And especially if you can open windows yeah. um, and, and tell air is flowing through there. I'd never thought about getting like a personal air purifier in my home. Mm-hmm. But if I had to share a space regularly with people right now, I think that would be actually really a wise investment. Okay. Like I could see restaurants and offices having these air purifier machines pretty widely distributed any place people had to share space because they're just constantly filtering if there is any virus in the air they're filtering it out you can have air conditioning going and it doesn't mean you're like really getting great ventilation right Right. so that's interesting i mean that's that's like a useful tip for any for anybody who lives with anyone else right now right i mean I think it would actually, I mean, we're going off plausible mechanisms. Sure. And what we've seen from things like the choir studies where you saw 90% of people in a room get sick, which suggests that you can just fill up a room with this virus. And the more you could get out of the air, ideally by just opening windows and get, or doing things outside. And then secondarily by having like great basic ventilation systems. And then additionally having a high density of these machines that are pulling the air through them and cleaning it. So between all those things, you're going to, to decrease the amount of viruses in the air, and I, it would be logical to expect that would have practical benefits. Got it. Got um, it. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to start bringing a dowsing stick everywhere and hope that that it'll tell me like if the air is. Is okay that like a not. Harry Potter thing? <laughs> no, a dowsing stick is what people use to um, search for water underground. Oh. Apparently it works. I don't know. But anyway, what about... Okay, here's a question. <laughs> Can dogs smell the virus? Uh, no, I, I don't... We don't know that. Um, but theoretically? I'm, yeah, I write in the book, actually, about dogs' abilities to smell different disease states. They're in your book that's and, coming out? Clean? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Wait, could we train dogs to smell coronavirus? Um, possibly. People are working on it. Should you train Moses to smell coronavirus? No. He's thinking at systems levels. He's not going to spend <laughs> his time, like, going around finding sick individuals. Okay, uh, fine. But no, that does but, seem interesting, right? That is a thing that's being looked into? Um, yeah. And, and if it's anything like the way it's being looked into for malaria, it's more that would be more about, like, screening at airports. <laughs> not, like, you, yeah. it, it's never going to be as accurate as the test that we have, but it could potentially, if you got a crowd and the dog starts going to one person, you know, be like, Hey, there's someone here who seems to have this. I I, I don't expect it'll actually end up working, but there are people who are taking it very seriously. Okay. You know, one of the theories early on was that hot weather would somehow decrease the virus's ability to transmit. But we haven't seen that be the case. And like, it's not like hotter regions of, the country are experiencing less coronavirus. Could part of that be because the hotter it is, the more air conditioning is being used? Um, well, 
if it is because you are going inside and enclosed spaces more, mm-hmm. that would be the thing. I think if there is a weather pattern spike, it's going to have a lot to do with people's behaviors. Yeah. As far as being, being indoors inside. and enclosed spaces, yep. and especially if being inside with windows open versus with an air conditioner that's churning the same air around over and over. Yeah. And letting things build up in the air. But yeah. okay. This isn't to scare people, it's to say like there there are things we can do and Yeah, no, we need to know. I mean that's like every scenario in life could could be given this treatment right now, right? And it's like here there's no certainty, but here's basically what we know, here's what we assume, and here's what we think could be done to mitigate the risk. Like that's we need to do that with everything now. Right. It's just a great moment to make sure that, you know, the places you're spending a lot of your time are doing their part to like make good on providing healthy air for yeah. you, which they should be doing all along. Yeah. This is reminding me at my old show, we did a story on uh, sick building syndrome, which, which is a, a term that was coined in the seventies or eighties when a bunch of more people started working in offices. Um, people just got sick a lot more. And then the whole idea of plants in offices came out of that, that they could quote clean the air, but that has later been disproven. Oh my gosh. They were like, we don't actually want to upgrade our ventilation system. No, so but we can put these plants and they're going to clean the air for us. For yeah. Yes, exactly. Anyway, fascinating. Um, yeah, it really is. I, um, you know, to come back to Peter's question, he asked me it. And I'm yeah. like, you know, here in the US and like the level of hotel, not that journalists stay at super nice hotels, but you're going to be staying at some place that isn't going to like smell like horrible mildew and seem like there's never been airflow through there you know um this is much more of an issue for people probably working in cramped conditions or in and elsewhere uh, in the world yeah or places where they don't have the standards um okay all right it's not all about us Catherine. oh i know okay um this was helpful and interesting and disturbing and i wish i had never heard the phrase toilet plume and i gotta go so you should do oh. the credits okay i'll talk to you later okay bye the show was produced today by alvin melleth write us at social distance at the atlantic.com or call us at 202-642-6487 if you like the show and want to access all of the atlantic's journalism the best way to do that is by subscribing at theatlantic.com forward slash support us. Thank you. Those are really kind words, Catherine. I do agree that some of my insights could be considered revolutionary. A Nobel Prize? That seems too far. Uh, talk, to, talk to you later. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.